and pleasures are meaningless. <clears throat> I said to myself, come now, I will test you with, with the pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried chewing myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind still guiding me with wisdom, I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had others who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and providences. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all my ways, and, and in all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all labour, and this was the reward for my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had told to achieve, everything, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, Hi, my name's Carl. I'm one of the uh, pastors here, and if you're visiting here uh, today, it's great to have you with us. Uh, as Margaret said, we're starting today uh, our series, uh, thinking about this question, what, what do I live for? What do you live for? Uh, every year we like to ask uh, the people that we know, uh, the people that we work with, uh, a question about what they think about life, uh, because it's great to, to, to hear uh, what it is that people are thinking about the world that we live in. Uh, and then uh, we like uh, to, to gather up the responses that we get and then to think about what the Bible has to say uh, about some of those responses. Uh, so maybe you're here today because uh, a friend of yours asked you that question, uh, or maybe uh, uh, you come here all the time, uh, but you're still not sure yourself of what it is that you live for. Uh, or maybe you ask uh, a friend of yours what they think, uh, and uh, they're not here today, but uh, you'd love to be able to speak to them some more about the hope uh, that the Bible has in Jesus, uh, and so uh, you might find this morning helpful as well in your situation. So over the next four, uh, four weeks, we're going to be thinking about um, family, and next week we're going to be thinking about virtue, the week after, and then finally about fun, but today we're thinking about uh, happiness. You might wonder what the difference between happiness and fun is, uh, but if you like, happiness is, uh, there, was a, there was a difference, if you like, in the answers that people gave. There were some people who just said, look, I live for kind of this, this happiness and this sense of satisfaction and, and, uh, and joy, uh, and then there were others who kind of picked out particular things that they were living for, uh, whether that was, you know, mountain biking or, or whatever it might be. Uh, and, uh, you know, sort of just living for, for the day and for the joy that would bring happiness is kind of bigger aim. And that's what we're thinking about uh, this morning. 
And can I encourage you, whatever your question is or whatever the question of your friend or uh, uh, the, the people that you asked, can I encourage you to, to try and make along to every one of these weeks because you'll probably find that uh, it's not just your question that will give uh, you helpful uh, understanding about the world, uh, but also the other topics as well will help you to understand the world and your own topic. Uh, so let me encourage you to try and make along to as many of them as possible. Possible. Well, it's a great question, I think, to, to think about. What do you live for? What do I live for? And maybe for you, the answer is happiness. Maybe that is what you're living for. As you think about that question, that's the thing that comes to your mind first of all. When you get out of bed in the morning, uh, your hope for the day is that it will be a happy day. Uh, your hope for your job is that it will be a happy job, it will be a satisfying job. Uh, your hope for your marriage is that it will be a happy and a satisfying marriage. Uh, your hope in having children is that they will make you happy, that you'll find satisfaction in, in having them. Your hope in going for a holiday is that it will make you happy, that it will be satisfying, it will be enjoyable, it will be refreshing. And even if happiness isn't kind of your number one in, as you answer that question, I reckon it's got to be up there on almost everybody's list. Surely everybody at some level wants happiness. Uh, surely we'd rather have happiness and satisfaction than unhappiness and misery and dissatisfaction. Surely at some level we'd all rather be happy than sad. Well, the man who wrote uh, those words that uh, Jeff read for us uh, he thought a lot about happiness, and he didn't just think about it, he kind of ran an experiment on happiness. Uh, the, uh, the words that we read were written about 3,000 years ago by a man named King Solomon. He was one of the kings of God's people in the Bible, uh, and he was both incredibly wise and he was also incredibly wealthy. So he had the money and he had the brain to kind of test things out well. Uh, and so that's what he said to himself. He says in, in, in this first part of this book called Ecclesiastes, he's doing all his experiments about life to try and find meaning and satisfaction. He tries living for wisdom. He tries uh, living for work. And then in this section, he tries living for happiness. He says to himself in that first verse, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. He wants to find out what's good, what makes him happy. And he tries all kinds of things. Look at, look at the, some of the things that he tries. He, he tries laughter. Uh, he tries drinking lots uh, and having a good time. He says in verse 3, I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. He tried, he tried testing out what it was like to live being wise. And now he's like, well, now I'm just going to try being a little bit stupid sometimes. I'm not going to completely lose my mind, but I'm going to try maybe just being a bit silly some of the time. Uh, is going to make me happy, just letting my hair down from time to time. Uh, so he tries that. Next he, tries, next he goes on grand designs. Uh, verse 4, I ended up great building projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. In other words, he makes the ultimate house and the ultimate garden. I don't know if you ever watched Grand Designs or Better Homes Than Yours or uh, The Block or whatever it is, um, and you watch those shows and you think, if only I had a theatre room like that, you know? If only my garden 
looked like that. I'll tell you what it looks, a dance, they look, a dance like better than my garden most of the time. Or, or you look, you know, and you think, oh, if only I had a zero carbon house that was off-grid with an eco roof and a composting toilet, you know, all made from repurposed sawdust. And you think, wow, <laughs> you know, imagine. Well, Solomon tried it. You know, he tried. He was off grid, I tell you what. Solomon tried that. He tried building the ultimate house. And next he sets up his business, get this, so that he doesn't have to do any work. He just leaves it all to others. It's the ultimate dream, isn't it? Verse 7 I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were bought in my house. He doesn't care about what their life is like, but I don't have to worry about it. Just wake up in the morning and do whatever I want. He acquires heaps of other stuff. He gets herds, flocks, silver and gold, treasure. He, uh, he inherits provinces. He gets his own personal music group. I love this, verse 8. I acquired male and female singers. Forget the radio. You know, forget turning on the radio or a CD, Spotify. There they are. They're in your living room. And if that's not enough, he gets all the women uh, that his heart desires. He, as he says, I acquired a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. Now, there's no suggestion that uh, what Solomon is doing, we ought to imitate. He's not telling us here how to live. What he's saying is, look, this is all I tried. I tried everything that you can think of. What is it that you can think of? I tried it. I denied myself nothing, he says, that my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. But listen to to what he says at the end of that great experiment. He says, Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. The chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. That's a pretty incredible thing to say, isn't it? After all that, he's tried it all, but it failed to achieve what he'd hoped. He says it's like chasing after the wind. What does he mean by that? He means that you, you know, if you're, if you're chasing the wind, you're running around all over the place, grasping, and, you know, you never get it. If I said to you, I'll give you 20 bucks, you know, if after the service you go out and you can bring some of the wind back for me, uh, you know, just bring it back, 20 bucks, anyone. I'll raise it, a thousand. A thousand bucks for wind. You go, okay, yeah, that doesn't work. Some, some idiot will bring, bring back a jar and go, here it is. You can't do it, can you? You run, you grasp, it doesn't work. And Solomon says, that's what happiness is like as he was testing it out. He kind of maybe thought that he got there. He, he doesn't say that he never found any joy in anything. He just says that what he kind of grabbed at never lasted. It, it was never there for the long haul. And I reckon that even if you and I haven't done the experiment that Solomon did on the same scale as he did, I reckon most of us have done a kind of a similar experiment in life. And even if we don't normally admit it to ourselves, deep down we probably know that it's true. We've tried heaps of stuff. And it's not that we've never found any joy in any of those things. There seems, you know, 
there's sometimes that we've had great joy of, you know, the wedding of a friend or watching a show on TV, a comedy on TV, and you're just in tears. But at the end of the day, it just never seems to be there for the long haul. It just seems to disappear. You know, I love watching a good comedy on telly. Um, I love having a laugh with friends. And you can be in such as I was... I was Skyping with a friend of mine the other day, and we were, just, we were just in tears, you know. I would laugh, then he would laugh, then I would laugh at him laughing, and it was, just, it was just ridiculous. But, you know, it doesn't take long, does it, for that feeling just to, just to sort of fade away. You know, you can be laughing one moment at a comedy, and then the next moment, the, the, the worries and the pressures of life just come back. And sometimes even when life is hard, we think, you know what, I just want to cheer myself up. I'm just going to put on something fun or do something fun. But it doesn't always work, does it? You know, we kind of hope that we can turn the tap on for happiness when we want it. But we, we know deep down that it doesn't work like that. Some people try to, you know, access that happiness tap, if you like, uh, with alcohol and with drugs, Solomon tried that. They try to make life more satisfying with, with medication. But the problem is that sooner or later the effects of that wear off. There might be pleasure for a time, but it just, sooner or later life crowds back in again. Other people turn to sex. Or they turn to Pornography, the stats show around the world that that, that that is just in plague proportions, even young children. But does it bring happiness? Oh, it might bring pleasure for a moment, but it doesn't bring happiness, I don't think. Like everything else, the pleasure soon fades and like everything else, we end up looking again and again for the next hit. There's something so frustrating and so elusive about happiness. Even the best experiences of life are somehow incomplete. Even the best marriage is somehow missing something. Even the best holiday is not quite as good as it could have been. Even the best learning or the best adventure or whatever it is leaves a bit of a hole at the end of the day. I think our experience of life is the same as Solomon's. We've done the same experiment and it feels like grasping for happiness is grasping and chasing the air. So is happiness then ultimately elusive? Is it beyond our grasp? Solomon says, yes, it is. Even if we get it, we can't keep it. And that's what he calls the basic nature of life under the sun. That is life on this earth. Uh, but that's not the way that God intended it. The big story of the Bible is, as Steve explained to us already today, the big story of the Bible is that God made the world and he made the world good. On the very first few pages of the Bible, we discover that God made a good world, a world to be developed, enjoyed, experienced, loved. But not soon after God made, not that, uh, that long after God made the world, uh, we ruined it as human beings. We rejected God. We set off to go our own way. And the consequence of that is that the world that we live in is, is ruined. It's wrecked. 
The world can't survive without God. We can't, we can't survive as people without God. And God, more to the point, is the source of every good, every enjoyment, every happiness, every piece of satisfaction. And without him, we can't gain access to those things. Because of our rejection of him, there's this great barrier between us and God. And that great barrier between us and God means that happiness and joy and satisfaction are always somehow beyond our grasp. God has given us a glimpse, if you like, in this world of what it is like to live without him. Just a glimpse. God's still there. God's still keeping the world going. But that deep satisfaction and that deep joy and that deep gladness, that deep happiness is frustrated. And that's because we're separated from God. And as long as God is away, God is behind that barrier, there can't really be any satisfaction. Because every satisfaction, every joy comes from God. Every good meal that we taste is a glimpse of the wonder of God. Every act of love between human beings for each other is a reflection of the love of God, of who he is. God is the source of every joy. But not only is he the source of every joy, he himself is the greatest joy that we can ever experience. Listen to what one writer from the Bible says. He says, I said to the Lord, you're my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Nothing. Apart from you, there's nothing that's good. It's an extreme way of saying, you're the best thing that there is. You're my portion and my cup. That is, everything comes from you. Again, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your, your right hand. His great joy, his great desire is to be back with God because he knows that's where joy and happiness are. Well, listen to these words from, uh, from one of the early disciples of Jesus, the Apostle Paul. Uh, he writes to some of the, the Christians living in the first century uh, in the time just after Jesus' resurrection. And, and listen to what he says. He says, But whatever were gains to me, whatever I had, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything, everything that there is, a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost everything. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. That's, that's the greatest desire that I have is to know Jesus, to know God, to, to be bound up with him, to be, to be united with him, to have him. That's what I want. Everything else that I've had, I don't, I don't care about anymore compared to having God, having God in Jesus. There was an 18th century pastor by the name of Jonathan Edwards, uh, and he wrote this. He said, God is the highest good of the reasonable creature, and the enjoyment of God is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant things here. Fathers and mothers, husbands, wives or children or the company of earthly friends are but shadows 
but God is the substance. These are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the fountain. These are but drops, but God is the ocean. We can't find happiness in the world around us without God. Because God is the source of every joy and every happiness. And God himself is the greatest joy and the greatest happiness. And that's how God made us to be. But the profound irony is that as human beings, we try to chase happiness while at the same time trying to hold God at arm's length. And it doesn't work. But we, we can't have happiness if we're pushing away the source of happiness every moment of our lives. It, it doesn't work. We need to come back to God to discover that true joy and true happiness. Well, even if we decide uh, that we want that happiness and that joy that comes from God alone, the the reality is we can't just unbuild that wall that we've set up. We can't just pull down that wall. We need God to do it. We built the wall between us and God, but only God can bring it down. And that's what God has done in Jesus. God has made the way for us to be brought back to him for that wall to be unbuilt through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus' death as Steve explained earlier, pays for our sins and his resurrection brings us the life with God. It makes us right with God. And when we receive Jesus, when we accept Jesus, we're brought into God's family, we're brought back into a relationship with God, we're brought back into a relationship with the source of true joy and true happiness and true satisfaction. And because of that work of Jesus... That joy and satisfaction is breaking its way into our world in the hearts of those people who know and love Jesus. Those people who are Christians, those people who have received Jesus, experience already now some of that joy and satisfaction that comes from the source of happiness, which is God himself. Now, please don't misunderstand what the Bible is saying. The Bible is not saying that if you know Jesus that your life will be a bed of roses. It is not saying that your life from that moment on will be absolute happiness and absolute satisfaction and absolute joy. Not at all. The Bible's message is that in Jesus, God comes to us. He comes and makes his home in us. Through and we begin to taste the happiness of God, friendship. But we won't truly be happy, we won't truly be satisfied until we're actually back together with God, reunited with God in his presence. And that happens when Jesus comes back together with himself. Nevertheless, we can taste that joy now. One of uh, Jesus' other disciples, a man by the name of Peter, wrote this. He said, in all this, you greatly rejoice. So Peter's saying, look, you're rejoicing even though uh, your life is not 100% okay at the moment. You're actually suffering at the moment, but you can rejoice. Why is that? Why can you have joy? 
says, because though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your faith. Everything's not okay, but they love Jesus filled with an inexpressible and glorious glory. They can't communicate. That because they know God through Jesus. And already now they're receiving the salvation of their soul. So often we chase after happiness and it eludes us. It's outside our grasp. But that's because we so often look for it in all the wrong places like Solomon did which we chase after the wind we run there we run there we run there and it doesn't really do anything for us but when we chase after God and forget about everything else we actually get happiness we get happiness in God and we get happiness in all the things that God has made as well if you've been looking for happiness if happiness is the thing that you, you live for, but you've never found it, then let me invite you, let me encourage you this morning to come to God and acknowledge that, that you've been looking for happiness, but you've not found it, and to acknowledge that He is the way, through Jesus, to have that true satisfaction and joy that comes through Jesus' death on our behalf and His resurrection that he gives to us. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, you know all of us, you know where all of us are, you know every experiment that we've entertained, everything that we've ever done, every hope that we've ever had, every longing for happiness that's ever gone unmet. Lord, you know too the great gifts that we've received from your hand, the the. the the joys passing though they were. Uh, Lord, you know them all. And Lord, we just thank you for the good gifts that you've given to us, whether we acknowledge you or not as a source of them. Lord, we thank you for them and we pray that you would help us, Lord, to see beyond them to you. Lord, forgive us that we've chased after everything but you, that we've chased after happiness while trying to push you away. Lord, help us to see how that doesn't work and help us to, to come to know Jesus and to come to know you through Jesus. Help us to know that inexpressible and glorious joy that comes from the salvation of our souls in Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen.